Lord puts on your heart uh, to preach with us. So let me uh, read the scripture. Uh, if you have uh, your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark 2. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 18 through uh, chapter 3, verse 6. And I'll, I'll read that. It'll also be up on the screen if you, if you don't have it on uh, your Bible uh, physically or digitally. But let me pray, and then, and then I'll read this. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to stop all that we're doing and just focus on you. It's just a privilege to be here uh, singing songs uh, in praise to you and also looking at your word to be encouraged and, and spurred by. And so, Lord, we just we commit this time to you. Wherever we're at spiritually, if we've uh, been your follower for many years, would you meet us where we are? Would you have a word for us? If if we are not your followers, would you, would, you, would you touch our hearts today and help us understand who you are from this text? I pray especially for Adam that you would fill him with your spirit today and help us just to understand um, what you have before us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, Mark 2, starting in verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And on that day, they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins, excuse me. On one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some, he some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is unlawful, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill. But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn heart, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me today. Uh, you know that uh, that moment when a toddler is minding her business and having a big time playing playing with a new tricycle and, and really enjoying the afternoon with uh, with the Gramps and then and then mom and dad return from the hospital with with a, with a new baby and the universe collapses. Right now it's it's not it's not quite a a big bang kind 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 of moment. It. Uh, it takes it takes a while for for the toddler to to realize that this is a 
a destroyer of the pursuit of happiness kind, kind of kind of creature. But 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 in that in that time before that happens, uh, when when the baby first shows up, uh, there's there's this interaction, and it and it can take b- between uh, between a couple minutes and and a couple days, depending on on how black-hearted the, uh, the toddler is. I, it, t- it took me all about 30 seconds to make my decision about my sister. Uh, uh, but but there, is a, there is a time when, when, when the toddler needs to figure out who and, and what this new baby is, right? And, and so, so the toddler uh, asks a couple questions, st- stays back for, for, for a couple seconds, and maybe gets a little closer, touches the cheek when mom and dad aren't looking, you know, g- g- gives the cheek just a little, little bit more of a touch to uh, see, see how, how, it, how it reacts, uh, and 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 that and that kind of kind of interaction there of of trying to figure out just who is this thing? What is this thing that has invaded my life? And is potentially going to change it. That's that's exactly what's been going on in the book of Mark thus thus far, and and including today. We've we've got this character Jesus who has showed up in in first century uh, Palestine, and we are early days in Mark's story. We're early days in in Jesus' ministry, and and, and we've got a we've got a few groups of people who who are basically circling around him, and and, and they're trying to figure out. Uh, with with some weariness, uh, uh, and, and that's and that's increasing some suspicion. Just just who is this character, and and, and what is he about? And and man, I think that's a lot of us too as well. Uh, we're we're here at at some level. Um, we're willing to to listen. We're, we're cautiously interested in this in this whole Jesus character but but we've got this instinctive skepticism towards anything that has a a religious whiff to it and who knows maybe in some of these encounters will uh, that we'll examine today we'll, we'll, we'll find a few of our own questions uh, but there are some of us who, who have the complete opposite reaction to, to Jesus. We're, we're not circling him trying to figure out who, who he is. We, we've actually uh, known this guy for, for a while, may, maybe, even, maybe even much of our lives. And, and some of us have, have such a familiarity with Jesus that we often forget just how pointedly he calls us away from, uh, from our comfortable religious habits and, and our existences. Uh, and that's my hope with, with the three encounters that we're going to look at today. Uh, we're we're going to look at three stories that, that Dave just, just read. And, and my hope is that whether our, our instinctive reaction to religion is sharp skepticism or, or dull familiarity or somewhere along that, that, that spectrum, that, that, we, that we'd be open enough today to, to rediscover Jesus on his terms. Right, and so let's uh, let's 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 start with this first story. You'll you'll, you'll find it in, in chapter two. I think I think it's I think it's going to be on the screen. It's going to be verses eighteen through twenty-two. Our first encounter, and and this is where we're going to find that that we've got a bridegroom here, right? A, a bridegroom who doesn't fix. Bridegroom who doesn't fix. Right. Flashpoints in in verse eighteen. Uh, it's, it's fasting, people, Mark doesn't tell us whom, people came and said to him, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? 
right? That is a loaded question, right? That would be a weird question today, right? We wouldn't usually go from discussing the weather to, to you know, post-Brangelina world to the Cubbies winning the pennant to why aren't you eating today, right? I mean, that, that, there's, there's not a flow to that. And, and, and in first century Palestine, like there's really not a flow to that. that, that, is, that there's, there's a lot that's behind that question. Uh, now, now, basic background, right? We've got, we've got the Hebrew Bible. That's what we call the Old Testament. The Hebrew Bible commanded that all Jews fast, right? That means just don't eat. Uh, it, it commanded that all Jews fast uh, once a year, right? One, one, once a year, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, right? There's a, there's, a, there's a once a year fast. But by the time that we get to Jesus's day, okay, so that's, that's, that's Bible stuff, once a year. By the time we get to Jesus's day, we, we've got a lot of, of religious teaching and groups that, that have kind of accreted over time. And now, and now we're like going crazy fasting. Like we're basically not eating food by the time that we get to Jesus's day, at least, at least among certain religious, uh, re- uh, re- religious groups. And, and, and by the time we, we get to Jesus' day, uh, we've, we've, kind of, we've, we've kind of left this, this Old Testament world, and, and there, there's just a lot of teachers out there, and there's a lot of groups with this general sense that something is wrong, right? That, that there's something missing from Judaism, right? right? That, that, that the, uh, the Jewish religion. And, and we see a proliferation of, of groups and teachers, everybody who's got an answer, right, to the problems of life and, and, and religion. And Jesus' questioners are highlighting two of, two of the most prominent teachers and, and groups that have this, this answer to what's wrong. So, so we see John here, and we see the Pharisees. Let's tackle the Pharisees first, right? Uh, and, and so, so, we, so we got the, we got the, uh, the Pharisees, um, the, the, the Pharisees look at Jewish life and they look at Jewish religion and they say, you know what? The problem with Jewish life and Jewish religion is that we are not ceremonially and legally pure enough, right? We're not ceremonially and legally pure enough and we've got a fix for that. Right here, here was the Pharisees' fix. They go back to the uh, the Old Testament. Right, they they open it up and they find six hundred and thirteen laws in there. Right, I looked at it. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't count that. Right, um, but but evidently there are six hundred and thirteen laws in, in in the Old Testament. So so the Pharisees took those, but they said they said that is not close to the number of rules that we need to be ceremonially and legally pure. Right, the the, the Pharisees' answer to problems in life is, is more rules. And so, and so they started writing thousands of them, right? So, so every, every commandment had five points, and every point had six subpoints, and every subpoint had three applications and, 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 and situations where, where those would, would be applicable. And, and we get to thousands, if not tens of thousands, it depend, depend on the count, of rules that, that, that people were encouraged to follow by the time we get we get to Jesus' point. This is how we're going to fix religion. Ceremonial legal purity. We're going to talk more about the Pharisees later, so keep them in mind. But then we've got John. That's the other, that's the other character that, 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 that they're asking about. We've got John. And John had a, had a different answer. In fact, he and the Pharisees really didn't agree on much except that something needed fixing, right? John's answer wasn't ceremonially and legal, and, and legal purity. He said that we need to, to, to rediscover moral purity, 
right? Moral purity. So people would come out to be baptized by him. That's why he's, he's called John the Baptist. He would dunk people in water, and they would, they would literally come to be baptized, and he would greet them with, and you can look this up in Luke 3, he would say, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. He, he was a real kind of life of the party kind of guy, right? And, and, and so we, we, got, we got John and we got, we, got, we got the Pharisees. Each of them has their own fix for, for life, for life's problems, for, for religion. They fast a lot. That's not a, not a huge supply, uh, surprise, as did their disciples. And so, and so when folks show up and they ask Jesus why his disciples aren't fasting like these other guys, there's, there's, some, there, there's something behind that. They're, they're not, at some level, they're interested in, in, why, in why they're eating so much, but, but, but at, a, at a deeper level, they're making a comparison, aren't they? Right? They're comparing Jesus' disciples, John, John the Pharisee disciples. They're comparing Jesus and, 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 and John and, and the Pharisees. And the reason they're comparing them is that's the easiest way to understand someone. That's, what, that's what's happening at the beginning of Mark here, is we're trying to understand who, who, who is this guy? We're, we're circling around him. We're, we're, we're prodding him. And one of the easiest ways to understand someone is to come up with an analogy, to come up with a comparison. John and the Pharisees ha- have a fix, so maybe Jesus does too. Maybe Jesus can fix this whole, whole life thing, this whole Judaism thing, this whole religion thing. Maybe he's got a way that we can improve our lives and, and be better people. So let's ask him about this most religious of exercises, right? Something no human would ever normally do. Let's ask him about fasting. And look at Jesus' answer in, in verse 19. And the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them. As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. He takes a question about the gravest Right, most serious, most somber. I mean, downright like gloomy. I mean, whenever you're not, you know, I'm not saying don't fast, but whenever, I mean, you're, you're going to be gloomy, right? I mean, I mean it's, it's like this is a, a religious, heavy thing. And, and, and he takes a question about fasting and he answers it with, with an image of, of the happiest and the most joyful and the most noisy and the most boisterous time in, in, in the village's year, right? right. He, he answers with, with a picture of a wedding. Now, weddings are pretty fun the, these days, but, but we do boring weddings like, com, 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 compared to first century Jews, right? I mean, I mean our, our, our weddings are stultifying, right? right? I mean, I mean they, they, they wouldn't even know what to do at our weddings right? because we, we sit and we, and we, like, you know, listen to, to a sermon and stuff, right? Right, right, right. I mean, first century Jews, they ate, right, right, for seven days. A, a wedding would last for seven days. And, and there would be, like, maybe five or ten minutes every day when they had to listen to some rabbi or, or, or some toast or something like that. But, but that was just an excuse to getting back to the to the table right right back back to the back to the meal the goal with a Jewish uh, Jew, Jewish Jewish wedding the only goal for for the bridegroom's family was not to run out of food right if you didn't run out of food then 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 you pulled it off right and, and this is the image this is the image that Jesus uh, uses to answer this question about fasting 
Now, he's not knocking fasting in general. You see, in verse 20, he even says that there's, there, there's going to come a time when that might be appropriate for, 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 for my disciples. But he's taking fasting out of a religious context, isn't he? Right, right, because they're asking the why, right, right, they're asking asking kind of the reason behind these things, asking the why question. He's taking it out of that religious context and and putting it into a relational context. He he wants them to start thinking about the the who. Fasting for his disciples is is going to be about about their relationship with him. And while he's around, they're sure as anything not going to stop eating. Now, in verses 21 and 22, he's going to go a little bit deeper than fasting because he's going to get at the, the question behind the question, this, this whole comparison with John and the Pharisees, this whole, what kind of fix do you have, Jesus? This is what John and the Pharisees offer. What kind of fix do you have for my life, Jesus? That's 21 and 22, right? And, 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 and here he employs his favorite teaching device. Some of you guys may have run across these kind of things as, as, as you run into Jesus before. He uses something called a parable. It's this, this everyday, or it's this analogy using everyday uh, 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 realities, il- illustrations to talk about something a bit deeper, right? And, and, and he says that no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth with an, uh, on an old garment if he does the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a, and a worse tear is made. The ancients, they had the same problem with shrinking clothes as, as we do. I, I've never really understood why there's a temperature dial on the washing machine, but, but e- e- evidently that, that has some, you know, so, something to do with, 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 with the issue. Um, but but, 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 but they, they've, got, they've, got the, they've got the same problem, and what Jesus is describing is he's talking about a piece of clothing, an old piece of clothing that's been washed uh, a few times. It's shrunk. It develops a tear, and so someone sticks a new, a new, a new piece of fabric to, 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 uh, to fix the tear, and then he puts it through the hot cycle again in the washing machine, and, and, that, and that new piece of fabric shrinks, right? The old stuff doesn't shrink. It's already shrunk. And that and that actually that actually tears the whole thing apart. Rather than fix the tear, it actually destroys the garment. Okay, and 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 there's a there, there's a similar idea in, in verse 22. So so new wine at the time uh, would actually just keep fermenting in the in the in the in the in the bottles. Not like ours, where you can keep it for 80 years. It would just keep fermenting, and 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 the little little bugs would release gas, and it would expand. And so you would put uh, you would put new wine into new leather sacks, so that so that they'd be supple, expandable. They could grow with the wine. If you put the wine into old skins, the old skins couldn't grow. And, and they would just burst. You put new stuff into old wineskins, and they would burst. They, w- they would destroy. They, they, they'd be destroyed. And you see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying that fixes, fixes to life, fixes to religion, fixes to our, our, our relationships and our society, they, they don't work. Patches. Patches on our careers, which we're always looking for, right? Patches on, 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 our, on our marriages, patches on, on, our, on our nation, right? We're always looking for the next one that will give us more happiness or more contentment, right? More wealth or, or more love in our lives. But, but to patch an old garment with, with new fabric is to destroy the garment. 
To put, to put new wine into an old skin is to, is to destroy both wine and, and skins. Unlike, unlike John, and unlike the Pharisees, and unlike every other religious teacher and teaching in history, Jesus doesn't have a patch. He doesn't have a fix that we can, we can put on ourselves and, and, and be able to make it through the day. Instead, Jesus offers, he offers a bridegroom. You know, for a husband and wife to take one another in, in marriage is, is to fundamentally and indelibly change their identity. And, and, a, and a husband and a wife's identity fundamentally becomes about their relationship with their spouse. That's what Jesus has on offer here, not a patch, not a fix for something in our lives. He, he has a marriage on offer. He comes not as a, as a fix to our problems. He comes as a bridegroom uh, to our souls. All right, we got we got, got to move on to the, uh, the, the 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 second encounter. We'll we'll, we'll come back to that and, and wrap it up at the end of the second encounter. We've got a king who doesn't fit. This is verses twenty three through through twenty eight. Okay, so in verse twenty three, we see Jesus and his mates. They're called disciples. Uh, they're going through a cornfield or a grain field, um, and this is some random dude's uh, uh, cornfield, and they are picking the corn off, right? And they are eating that guy's food, right? And, and, and people come up to him and, he say, and, and, and they say, why are you doing this? Right, 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 right. How is it that this is lawful? Right? Now, the weird thing is that they're actually not talking about stealing the guy's corn. It turns out that that's totally legal, right? And, and you, I, think I, I think I wrote this down. Uh, you can go look that up in Deuteronomy 20 through 25. It's totally legal to eat someone else's corn. No, what, what, they're, what they're talking about is, is when... They're doing this. This is fundamentally a question of, of when, right? Because this is happening, uh, as, 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 as verse 23 says, on the Sabbath, okay, on the Sabbath. Now, the, the Jewish Sabbath is a really, really big deal. And, and we could easily spend 20 minutes uh, talking about what a, what, 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 what a big deal it, uh, it is. It's the longest of, of, of the Ten Commandments, right? It's, um, it's what sets the Jews apart from every people group and religion around them. It's the concern of thousands of those sub-points of the law that we were talking about that the Pharisees have developed. Uh, Sabbath keeping is, is by this time probably the biggest Jewish distinctive, and you can't do stuff on the Sabbath, right? You can't work, obviously, for, 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 for money, but you can't do a lot of other stuff. You're not allowed to carry children around, right? Children need to walk on the Sabbath or they stay at home, right? You cannot sew more than one stitch on, on the Sabbath. You can't write more than one letter on, on the Sabbath, so you can, you know, write a whole bunch of uh, K's or, you know, something like that, but, but, but that's, you know, that's, that's, that's the only letter. Right, um, you you, uh, 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 you you could save life. That was the one thing you could do, but you couldn't go beyond that. So, for instance, one legal ruling held that if a house if a house collapsed, then you were allowed to sift through the rubble to see if there was anybody alive there to rescue them. But you had to leave the dead guys there. Right, 
Now, Jesus and his disciples here, they're probably uh, breaking a whole bunch of Sabbath regulations. They're going walking around, and, uh, but, but, uh, but, but what gets, gets the goat here is, is that they're, they're picking the corn off that, that, that stalk. That's what they're not allowed to do. And this poses a, a big problem for the religious authorities, for, for those Pharisees that we ran into before. I mean, look at, look at verse 24. Look, they're breaking the law. Right? They're, they're taking the thing that is most distinctly Jewish at the time, this whole, this whole Sabbath-keeping, and they're apparently just, just disregarding it. And, and, and everyone is trying to figure out who Jesus is, and maybe that's some of us here. They're trying to figure out who Jesus is, and it's not computing. Right? He says he's a Jew, but he's not doing Jewish things. This is what you do. He's not doing it. What's going on? Things are not fitting. So Jesus shares another image. This one not out of everyday life, but, the, but this one out of, out of history. It's, it's kind of a fun story. Uh, we're, we can't recount all the details right now, but he, he kind of goes back in Jewish history to a guy called David who, who was anointed to be the king or at least the future king, but there was another king who was hunting him down and trying to eliminate the competition. And David, and he's got a few you know, scraggly guys with him, they're, 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 they're getting chased around the country and they're super, super hungry and nobody's feeding them. And so they, they just happen upon the most most holy place in all the universe. It's called the tabernacle back then. And David's like light bulb, right? Food in there. So he, he, goes, he goes into the place where you cannot go in, right? And, and, there's, and there's special bread there. And that's like bread for God and the priests. And it's, it's like an obvious no-no. And David's like, food, I found food, right? So he and his, his buddies eat the food and, and they go on and he eventually becomes king, right? And that's what Jesus is bringing up here. And he's not saying that the whole like, The bread is for God rule was a bad rule, right? Or that anyone had a right to that bread. He's saying that David, David had a right to that bread. David at the time was the true king. He'd been anointed by God. And that's the key to the story. It's not what he did. Not when he did it. It's who he was. And when the Pharisees complain about people in general eating corn off the stalks, well, they may or they may not have a point, depending on your interpretation of the whole Sabbath thing. But when they complain about Jesus doing it, they are fitting him into the categories that they know and with which they're deeply familiar. And by doing that, they've missed the king of kings walking around the green. And I wonder how often we do the same thing. How often have we come to Jesus and we've lined him up with our matrix of, of what we think is true and what is, what is valuable, uh, our, our expectations, what we want out, out of a religion, what, what, what we want out of, a, out of a teacher or a life model. And we come to him with our matrix and we find that Jesus just doesn't fit. And, 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 we, uh, and we decide to walk away or, 
or, or, or, or maybe we have the opposite problem. Maybe, maybe, maybe there are some of us in, in here who have, who have known Jesus for, for so long. We know that Jesus has some rough edges and some things that make us a little bit uncomfortable and stretch us a bit further than, than we want to be stretched. But, but what we do is, is we kind of jimmy him into our lives, right? We, we squeeze him in, into, into a pattern and a reality that fits well with who we are and makes us feel better about ourselves and gives us contentment and peace, but, but ultimately doesn't change our, our lives. How many of us live exactly like every other person that we do except that we pray before meals, show up most Sundays, ask Jesus for help at work, but essentially live lives that are structured exactly like everybody else in our socioeconomic bracket with a little Christian flair here and there. Whether we're coming to Jesus and saying, no, Jesus, you just don't fit into what I wanted, my expectations, so I'm going to walk away, or whether we, we cram Jesus into something that, that, that does fit, we, we are equally, we're equally at, at risk of doing what the Pharisees did and missing, missing the king of kings. Well, he answers, he answers both, both groups of people at, at, at the end there. He, first of all, he talks about the Sabbath, and he says that, 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 that man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man, right? right? He's talking about religion in general there, right? He's, it, right religion is not some kind of standalone edifice where, where the, you know, you know, our purpose is to be religious people. No, no a lot of these structures were, were put in place so that we might come to know, to know Jesus. Look at that last, that last line, verse, verse 28. Th- then, then, th- th- thus, thus Jesus is Lord even of the Sabbath. You see how he takes this Sabbath, this most religious of exercise, most religious of days, and he puts that in the context of relationship with him, just like he did with fasting. Sure, Jesus isn't going to fit. He's definitely not going to fit our expectations or the kind of lives that maybe we wanted to lead beforehand. But that's not, that's not his point. His point is that he came to be, he came to be our king. And whether we've been looking for a Jesus patch and have found out that just doesn't work, or whether we've been looking for a Jesus that fits and just and, fi- and, and find out that that's just that's just really awkward. That's 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 not who he is. He he is he is going to keep calling us. He's going to keep challenging us to see that bridegroom, to see that king walking around that cornfield. He's going to call us through that fog of religion and our human expectations. Because as our last encounter shows, he is the Savior who doesn't falter. That's our last story. That's, that's the last six, or the first six verses of, of chapter 3. It again takes place on, on the Sabbath. So not only are we on the holiest of days, but we're in the synagogue, which is, which is kind of like the, the Jewish equivalent, of, of, equivalent of, of what we're doing here when, when a bunch of people came together to talk about God. And Jesus walks in, and there's a guy with a shriveled hand there. Who knows what scientifically what was going on there? A lot of uh, commentators have, have wasted a lot of time trying to figure that out. But, but it's, it's two, two, things, two things are clear. One is that uh, the guy had a problem, right, especially in a manual labor focus society, right? If, if you had a hand that didn't work, that was a problem. And two, the guy wasn't going to die that day, right? right? The guy had lived a long time with a shriveled hand, and he was probably going to keep, keep, keep living for, for a while. 
So, so Jesus there, that guy is there. Jesus' uh, religious establishment foes are there. That's, that's the Pharisees. And they are not there to listen to the sermon. We, we, we see that there. That's what Mark tells us. Even, even it was probably a lot more interesting than what we lucked into today. They, they, they are there to see what, what was going to happen this, to this dear guy when, when Jesus encounters him. Now, remember the, uh, the religious thinking of the day held that you could only work if someone was about to die. This guy was not about to die, right? And, and yet Jesus decides to call him forward. And the guy gets up, and this must have been, at that time, probably the worst thing that, that he could imagine, right, being called to the front. And, and Jesus, before he deals with the guy, he turns to his foes, and he, and he says, and he says uh, uh, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? And, you know, you know, semi-fairly, they might easily respond, hey, who's talking about life and death here, right? The guy's got a shriveled hand. Who's talking about doing harm? Why don't you wait a day, Jesus? You know, 24 hours, and you, and, you, know, and, and, and you can fix this guy, and, and we'll all be happy. But if there's nothing that these encounters have told us, it's that Jesus does not have time for religion that gets in the way of restored relationships. He doesn't have time for that. He doesn't have 24 hours for a, for, for, for a religious practice that will get in the way of a restored uh, relationship and, and restored people. And, and indeed, his enemies do stay silent when, when he asks the questions. You see, they're not interested in a real conversation about human suffering, the answer to evil, the hope of the world. They could have had those kind of conversations that day with the bridegroom and the king. They're not interested in who is this guy. They're interested in whether Jesus ticks the right boxes, whether he lines up with their religious, their political views. You see Jesus' response is just anger, isn't it? We don't see Jesus that angry all the time, but he, he gets mad, and, and this, this is a bad one. I mean, it, this is just seething anger. Uh, the, the English, that whole, whole deeply moved in spirit or whatever your translations have, doesn't begin to to capture the, the, the idea of the rending of his heart at this religiosity that is, that is preventing them from coming to the aid of this distressed man. And rather than wait one more day, heck, rather than wait one more hour, he could have done this out back behind, right, right, out of view, and then he would have been fine. But rather than wait one more hour, he comes immediately to the rescue of the man. He says, stretch out your hand. The man does it, and, and the hand is restored. You see, that's who this guy is. That's the answer to all this probing and, and questioning. Uh, Jesus came not to institute new rules on fasting or religious uh, affairs, but, but to be our bridegroom, to call us into a new identity that was fundamentally based on our relationship with him. He came not to fit into our religious or ethical or political worldviews, but to redefine our worldviews in light of him, the king. And before all that, Jesus knew in this dear man experience that in order, in order to know the bridegroom, in order to know the king, we first needed a savior. We need a God who's not ticking boxes, figuring out if we've met the right criteria in life, keeping a running score, running tally on how, 
how good or bad we've been. What, what we need is a God who is so concerned with us and our relationship with him that, that he's not going to wait an hour to do this outbound. We need a Savior who will not falter as he leads us into a new life with him. Let's, let's wrap up with that, with that last verse because what that last verse there tells us, verse 6, is that that restoration, it's a wonderful restoration, complete restoration, but it doesn't come uh, without a cost. Now, it's a cost that's not borne by, by, by that man or, or any of us. It's a cost that's borne by, by Jesus. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Now, we are, we are very early in Mark's story. Like, we're just past chapter 2. We got, we got 14 to go. We're very early in Mark's story in Jesus' ministry. But the religious establishment of the day had seen enough. Two chapters. They're, they're done. And from the moment that he restores that man's hand, Jesus is a marked man. And the Pharisees leave the synagogue. Isn't that incredible? They, they, leave, they leave church. They see a man healed, and they leave. And do you see who they go and plot with? These guys called the Herodians. Those are political partisans of King Herod. Usually those two guys hated each other. But, but, but because of what Jesus did, because he restored someone and, and this guy's relationship, we, we have this evil alliance of, of, of the religious and political establishment, something that's, that's not totally without parallel e- even in today's world, to, to plot to plot Jesus' destruction. And from this point forward, a shadow of death will loom will loom over all of Jesus' ministry. And as we get closer to the end of the book of Mark, we're going to discover that that shadow is, is distinctly cross-shaped. Because to restore this man and to restore, to restore all of us, to be our bridegroom, to be our king, to be our savior, Jesus is going to end up walking, walking to a cross. You know, religion is, is, so, is so consumed with, with the whys of life, right? Why aren't you fasting? So, so, so consumed with the hows of life. How is it legal? So, so consumed with the whens. What day is it? The wheres. Where are we right now? That that, th- those are the questions that religion poses first. Those are, they're, they're not terrible questions, but, but what, what, the way Jesus answers all those questions is he says that, that those are all second-order questions. You know, we can talk about the whys and the hows and the whens and the wheres. We can get to those conversations, and, and guys, guys, <laughs> current has, has years ahead of it to talk about those 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 conversations, but there's a conversation, there's a question that has to be asked before we can begin to get to those. And that's the question of who. Before why, before when, before how, before where, we need to figure out who, who is this guy? Who is this Jesus? And at least, at least as a preliminary answer here, we, we see that, that, that we have here a bridegroom. As 
someone who calls us into newness, not, not patched up versions of our current existences, but recreated lives in relationship with him. We've got a king, not someone who, who fits into our paradigms or our expectations, but someone who redefines and restores our world in relationship with him. We have our Savior, a Savior who does not falter in his walk to the cross, to the death and the eventual resurrection that will bring us into a new life and a new relationship with, with, with him. That's the question, and that's, a, that's the beginning of the answer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we come to you so often asking the, the whys and the hows. Lord, we're looking for fixes. We're looking for patches. We're, we're coming in with our expectations and lining you up against them. Lord, we're, 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 we're jimmying you, pushing you into the corners uh, and the forms of, of our life that, that are comfortable and make sense to us. And Lord, that's, that's what these guys were doing. And I, I, don't, I don't think, Lord, that, that these, these were particularly horrible people. I, I think, Lord, that that they saw, that they encountered a king of kings in the cornfield. And they saw a traveler. They saw a teacher. And I pray, Lord, today that, that we would encounter that same king. We'd encounter the same bridegroom, the same, the same savior, but, but that you would, you would begin to give us eyes, maybe, maybe, for, maybe for literally the, the, the first time, to see him for for who he, who he actually claimed to be. To evaluate him first on, on what he said and what he did. Lord, in humility, to put us put aside, just, just momentarily, not forever, but to put aside momentarily our whys and our hows and our whens and our wheres. And to come with you, to you, with the who. Jesus, teach us who.